Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to uh, episode 13. Thank you guys so much for the continued support. I'm shooting for 100 episodes. I'm only, uh, what, 80, 82 away? I mean, we are almost there. Is it 82? No, 87. Shit, my math is off. Welcome to South Carolina education system, people. Almost had to break out my calculator and do 100 minus 13 on that. But instead, I used my fingers. So that's why I quit using YouTube, so y'all can't see me counting on my fingers. Anyway, hey, um, y'all want to hear a crazy story? Uh, I'm always trying to figure out what I can tell you guys. I have <laughs> so much stupid shit that's happened in my life. I'm going to tell you I'm gonna tell you about the bag of dildos. And I don't know why I decided to tell you this. I actually called a friend of mine because he knows this story. And I was like, man, you think I should tell the bag of dildos? He's like, hell yeah, you got to tell this story. And I was like, man, I, don't, I just don't know if it's appropriate because he's like, dude, when have you ever worried about pro-? I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so let me tell you all the story about the bag of dildos. So when I was a young man. I was in high school. This is the summer before I was, uh, I was going off to the Marine Corps. And, um, no, excuse me. It was that same year. I dated this, uh, I dated this young lady. We were both, uh, 18 and, um, I guess she had a nosy mom and she had some toys, if you will, that she liked to, to have for herself. Now at 18, that is a young age, whatever I told y'all I have lived a crazy ass life. So don't judge. Right. Anyhow. She would keep her bag of, uh, well, I won't tell you what was in the bag, but you'll just have to figure it out. She kept this bag of things in my closet at my house because her mom would find them at her house. So she thought they were safe. Well, one afternoon I came home and my sister is hysterical. I mean, crying, laughing when I walked in the door and I was like, what is wrong with you? My sister could not fucking breathe. She is crying so badly. And she's like, I, and this is back before cell phones. So I didn't have a cell phone. So she was waiting around on pins and needles all day to tell me this. And when I pull in the driveway, she starts almost pissing all over herself because something happened. Right. And I'll just tell you this. My sister knew about the bag in the closet because the girl that I was seeing at the time and my sister were, were, were like that. They were tight. So my sister knew that she had, um, all right, fuck it. A bag of dildos hidden in my closet. Okay. And, and that's plural. That has a, that has a, uh, apostrophe. Um, there were multiples, uh, there may or may not have been some golf balls with some string attached to it in there too. If you know what that, that represents, 
Maybe maybe they were volleyballs. I can't remember shit. Anyway, listen. <laughs> Don't judge, all right? So my sister, I walk in the door. She's crying. And she's like, Travis, I got to tell you what happened today. And I was like, all right, let, you know, get it out. And so my sister tells me, mom thought you were gay. And I was like, do what? And she, she said, Travis, she couldn't breathe. She's like, mom found that bag, those bag of dildos in your closet today. And she came to me crying and she thought you were a homosexual. And she thought that, you know, you had been hiding it from her and she didn't know how to approach you to let you know that it's okay. And I'm fucking dying laughing now. And my sister's dying laughing. So my sister had to convince my mom that my girlfriend was not a front because my mom was thinking that my girlfriend was just a front for my real life. Okay. That I was just, you know, look, I might've been into dudes. And so my, my sister had a hard time convincing my mom that that bag of dildos and those, uh, golf balls attached to a string that were like three foot long. Those weren't mine. Those were my girlfriend's and she was hiding them at our house because she didn't want her mama to find them in her closet. <laughs> they had some crazy shit. You can't make this shit up. I'm telling y'all half. I don't even know why I'm telling you the story, but the things that I can't talk about are ridiculous. Anyway, there's more to that. So I was home. I was home on leave one time with that same girlfriend. God, why am I telling you all this shit? And she needed a, 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 you know what? Let's just say this. I crashed my daddy's minivan in traffic one day because I was home on leave. It was my birthday. He gave me a hundred bucks for my birthday. I was in the military, so I was poor. I was excited to have a hundred bucks. The girl I was dating, little freaky thing. She wanted to go to the store to add to her arsenal. So I took her to the store. This wasn't my suggestion. It was her suggestion. Took her to the store. And while we're in traffic, she needed to test drive this thing. And so I'm driving and naturally I got curious and I look over with the show that is happening in the middle of Abercorn Parkway in Savannah, Georgia. And before I know it, bam, I hit the car in front of me. I'm like, motherfucker. And as I'm driving my daddy's brand new Astro van, y'all ain't never seen an Astro van. Them things sharp. It's actually not brand new. That was the second time I wrecked his van. Um, it was a couple years old. So anyway, I wreck it. I hit, apparently I rear-ended an army soldier. So I get out. He's dressed in all his little army uh, uniform. I'm a Marine. I'm off duty. And the back of his car is scratched. It's not really, nothing is wrong with it. It's just a scratch on it. And I begged him not to call the police, man. I was like, please, let me just give you this $100. And we shook hands. He took the $100 and I guess he went and buffed it out. But it busted up the grill on my daddy's minivan. And, uh, that sweet, sweet minivan. And I had to pull it up to his house. And I, I remember pulling up to the house and my girlfriend gets out. She's all, she's all like shy and shit. <laughs> and she just walked off. And my dad's like, Bo, what happened? What happened to my goddamn minivan? And I said, dad, I, I, I wasn't paying attention. And I hit a guy in front of me and I had to give him a hundred dollars that you gave me for my birthday. And so my dad felt bad, not about the minivan, but that I had to give a hundred dollars away. And, uh, so he broke out another hundred and gave me. So essentially I got $200 for my birthday and uh, wasted 100 of it. But the other hundred I got to keep. So moral of that story is the freakiness will get you. It's going to catch you. I could tell you all about the other time I crashed his minivan was just before I went into the Marines. Um, I was actually in high school. 
and I had like maybe 10 of my friends in there because that's what you do when you have a minivan. You take everybody you can possibly take. And we saw this girl walking down the road that we knew. And one of my buddies wanted to, uh, wanted to talk to her, uh, cause he was, he was on the verge of dating her. So he said, Hey, turn around, turn around, turn around. So I went and turned around and in South Carolina, there are no fucking rocks anywhere. Okay. This is dry. It's just a desolate f- fucking swampy ass area. But where I turned around was at a concrete mixing company and they had this big old rock in the driveway. And I don't know what my friend was thinking, but right when I turned around, he opened up the sliding door on the side. And when you open up a sliding door on a van, it pops out like six inches. And I didn't have enough room, man. The rock hit the door and it ripped the fucking door off and we were dragging it down the road. And my friends were like, oh shit, Mr. Rabbit's going to kick your ass. That's right. My dad's name is Mr. Rabbit. So everybody knew my dad is Mr. Rabbit. This is in my book, not this story, but and Rabbit didn't fucking play. So all my friends take off. I'm sitting there in the road. This girl's laughing. I got a fucking minivan for one. She's laughing at that for two. She's laughing because the goddamn door to the minivan is sitting in the road. And my only one friend that had enough balls to stick around, I won't, I don't name drop. But he's standing there, so I had to go call my daddy from the uh, restaurant payphone next door. Told him what happened. He hung up on me. He told me don't fucking move, and I knew that that meant if I did, he would he would he would end my life. So he gets down there. My friend's standing there with me. He runs my friend off. He says, "You need to get get to your goddamn house." So he goes to the house. My dad wore my ass out on the side of that road, people. And my dad didn't play. And this is uh, this is what he told me. I'll never forget. He brought some rope and he tied that damn door. We, he tied the fucking door onto the side of the van. Like it was completely off 100%. He tied this fucking rope over the cab and underneath the belly of the thing. And he looked at me and he said, if this goddamn door falls off my fucking minivan, I'm going to kill your ass. <laughs> he said, Get it to your uncle buddy's shop right now. So that's what I did. I took it to my uncle buddy's shop and, um, we, welded that fucking door onto the side of the thing and it never opened again so you want to talk about trashy we were trashy now i had a minivan with a welded door and that was even that happened during the uh during the accident in savannah with the um with the assortment of toys if you will all right now that this is awkward and out of um taken way out of uh left field i don't know how to get back on track so i have a bunch of notes here that i'm going to um discuss with you guys i am proud to announce that i am actually working on with a state senator on a bill that will assist in medical expenses for police and firefighters and if this bill gets passed it's a great thing because it will assist with medical expenses not only of people that are on the job for first responders but actually once they move on into their retirement years. So if they have problems down the line, even after, and all this shit like we talk about that comes back, that will still be able to get help. And I'm excited about that. I really, really hope this bill goes through. Um, it's uh, it's an exciting thing. It's, I'm proud to be a part of it. It's, I'm not the huge driving force behind it, but I do, uh, I guess, if you will, some some consulting with it. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. I've never done anything like that. Um, I'm all about doing anything I can to help our communities and the emergency services, uh, to, with their mental health. That's my passion. I love it. And talking about this bill 
with um with Senator Brian Adams from South Carolina. This this bill is um it's the bill is called S094. Um in talking with him, I asked him, I said, well, what are some of your concerns about the bill? Like, are you getting are you getting pushback from anybody? He said, yeah, we actually are getting pushback. And uh, so, so Senator Adams is a retired police officer, so he gets it. The other senators involved are not retired or any have any affiliation with, with law enforcement or uh, fire whatsoever. So they don't really see it and understand it the same way we do. It's not that they're completely unplugged from it. But one of their main concerns was that police officers will abuse this and take advantage of it, right? So Senator Adams essentially asked me if I could put together um, just different points from my point of view about post-traumatic stress, how it affects us during the job, after the job kind of thing. So he can go in there uh, with with more knowledge than he already has, and he has extensive knowledge on this stuff, but just maybe help him uh, with some ideas that he didn't think about. So I put together this – I put together – Something that when I was writing it, man, I was like, man, I couldn't type fast enough. I couldn't shut my brain off. And I was thinking about police officers, uh, specifically not saying firefighters don't need this too, but because uh, Senator Adams was a police officer. uh, So I kind of geared it towards that. So he would understand it from a police officer's point of view versus me talking about firefighting shit. uh, Although they, they, they parallel one another. I wanted him to be able to associate this with police officers. So, I started thinking and I was like, you know, I was, what kind of economical impact, and this isn't me getting all crazy and scientific in all this, because, you know, I like talking shit on here and all this, but this is very serious stuff. I think not having this bill would have a tremendous economical, and it has had a tremendous economical impact by not being able to support our law enforcement officers, whether on or off duty. And this is how, think about this, and I, I I don't know if a lot of you have thought about this. We know mental health is an issue, right? The first thing we do in the police academy is we train our law enforcement officers to be the most knowledgeable police officers that they can possibly be, okay? We want them to leave that job equipped with every tool to make them more effective at the job that they are about to go do. Their lives depend on it and the fucking citizens' lives depend on it. What we don't do and what we're trying to do now, what we've missed out on for decades, fucking centuries actually, with law enforcement is mental health training. And now we're catching up, We're tr- but we're behind the eight ball. We're way behind it. And a lot of people still don't understand it. People that aren't in these, um, in, in these fields do not understand the importance of this. And this is what I mean by economical impact. Think about the officers that have gone before us who had zero mental health training, who had zero mental health assistance who could not, out of fear for retaliation or for being considered weak, could not get help that they fucking needed. And they went out on duty one day, had to make a judgment call. It wasn't the right judgment call. They they've behaved in a manner they probably shouldn't have, and it cost the city millions in lawsuits, legal fees, settlements, Think about that. I thought about that yesterday. I was like, holy shit. Think about how many settlements could potentially be avoided if you had these police officers screened annually. It's part of your job to take care of your mental health. But if you can't and you got to go on duty and bury and suppress all this shit that you have to do constantly and then 
in a moment's notice, you got to make a split second decision when you're already fucked up. How is that the police officer's fault? I would think the way that this Sue happy world is, I would think that liability would fall on, on the jurisdiction that police officer works in. If that jurisdiction wasn't doing everything it could to ensure that officer's mental health status was above par. I don't know about you, but I don't want, I don't, wouldn't want an officer on scene with me trying to do his job when his mental faculties are all fucked up and he's having suicidal thoughts himself. He's got home problems because of his job. He was involved in a shooting that he was cleared on. Now he's in court getting sued civilly. You think that dude doesn't have some pressure on him? You think he doesn't have some mental anguish? How do you think he's going to be able to perform 100% effectively every single time? He's not going to or she's not going to. This mental health shit is the real deal. And I think that it, we could avoid a lot of problems. And not it doesn't just protect the police officers. It protects the citizens too. It protects their children. It's just one more tool to arm our police officers with to make them better police officers. We know better, we do better. And now we know better, so we should do better. We need to do everything we can to protect our own, to protect our first responders. So I am more than excited to assist in any way, shape, or form I can with State Bill 094. I want to... Um, switch gears and talk about something that's important. Um, when I do motivational or, you know, keynote presentations, I talk about this often. I talk about in our professions, law enforcement, fire, EMS. We talk about line of duty deaths a lot, right? And how they affect us. But I thought about something one time and I've never been able to get off of this topic. Nobody talks about dying along the line of duty. Think about that. This job kills us. It kills everything we love. Very few of us escape this job and go on to live wonderful, happy lives. There, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But more often than not, the people that go on to have these lengthy careers have some sort of problems. They have some sort of distress in their home. And they don't live happy, happy lives. Case in point. If you listen to uh, episode 10, that was post-traumatic stress and female responders. Okay. I was more than thrilled to do that episode. It was a hard episode to do, but it was, um, it was necessary. After that episode, I was bombarded by female responders with messages. And one of them that, that I'm going to talk about real quick, this is the epitome of dying along the line of duty. You ready? I got a message from a, uh, 16 year police officer in Australia down under. Um, she was telling me that she has three colleagues, three, all female police officers who have killed themselves. One, one hung herself. Another shot herself in the stomach. And the other, a 35 year veteran who was months away from retiring, walked off the top of a fucking building. That, my friends, is called dying along the line of duty. Now, I don't know their circumstances or their situations, but I don't find it coincidental that they're all three police officers and they felt the need to end their lives. That's what I'm getting at. One, 
didn't even look forward to retirement, felt no reason to live anymore, and ended it all. What was all that for? What was that life for, that beautiful life that you lived, helping all those wonderful people? You, the whole time you're helping people, you're killing yourself. Because you probably, I'm, I'm willing to guess, you didn't have any fucking assistance. You didn't have any help. You couldn't turn to anybody. And you couldn't talk to somebody. That's why it's important that we get this message out and we keep talking about this shit. Because one day... It's going to be fully acceptable in every department worldwide. I got another fucking message from a guy. I want to say it was the Ukraine, somewhere in Europe. I can't, I'd have to go back through. But he was telling me same thing. He's like, we can't talk about it over here because guys that I work with make fun of us. And I was like, man, I know what that's like. I do. I know what it's like. I, I, I killed a man on duty and not even minutes after my fucking friends were busting my balls for it, having a, having a laugh on me. So I get it. Um, there was no real direction after this, but I just think that the importance, the important part is if we're going to have longevity in this career, you got to take care of your mental health. You know, we take care of our bodies along the way. Most of us anyway, not, not, not all of us, <laughs> not all of us, but Many of us, we take care of our bodies and our health and our fitness, but we need to take care of our mind too. What are you doing? Ask yourself this. What are you doing in regards to planning for your exit when you leave this job? Are you? Do you have plans? Because the time is going to fly by. I promise you. It's going to go by so quickly, you're not even going to realize it. And then you're going to be standing there. And we talked about this in that episode, investing in your mental wealth. You better have a backup plan. I got a note. I got a bunch of notes here because I went on Instagram and I was, I went on Instagram live. I love doing that shit. Cause I love hanging out with you guys. And I was asking, Hey, what are some suggestions you want to talk about? Um, let me get back to that real quick. So in that bill that I was talking about with, uh, with police officers, check this out. This is how the economical impact. I just looked over at one of my notes. This is what I mean by economical impact. Did you know secondary PTSD exists? And what I mean by that is you can give your family your PTSD. I'm I'm not saying you're going to give them your trauma exposure, but all the signs and symptoms that you go through, the the debilitating shit that, that you experience, if you're not careful, you can give that to your children. They can absorb that. This is real. This is scientific. It's backed up with research. You can give that to them. In turn, they may not be able to handle it the way you do. By the time they're our age, they may be hooked on opioids, drugs, fucking alcohol, and all that, and some of you are. We cannot make our problems their problem, right? And, and what I'm getting at is that that's an economical impact in itself. When we start doing that to other generations, we start making our problem their problem, and now they got to get uh, medicated for that shit. And then as they get older, they don't even realize they have drug and alcohol related incidents. And it's all traced back to, well, my daddy was fucked up and it was the way he behaved and how he reacted to certain situations. It gave it to me. And then that's, that's how, what I grew up knowing. And now I'm fucked up from it. That can happen. That's, that's very, very scary stuff. So I live by that saying, don't make my problem their problem. They don't deserve that. They deserve a lot better. So we got to work on ourselves. Don't be too proud to get a little bit of help that you damn well deserve. Nothing's more important than your family. Um, dude, I have so many notes. I don't even know where to start. 
check this out. I got one. I got one note. I got an asterisk by it. I met. I knew this girl one time. She was a um, she was an aviation officer in the Air Force, and she, they she flew. I want to say C one thirties, and she goes, "Yeah, sometimes we work with all female crews, and you know that they call it." Um, where we, where we sit is called the cockpit, but when it's all women, we call it the box office. I was like, no shit. That's boom, boom. That's pretty good. I got an asterisk beside it. Um, so recently check it out, man. I, I'm all about parenting. I'm, I'm not saying I'm the most effective dad in the world. Actually, I, I, I struggle. I struggle. I try very hard to be the best father that I can possibly be. But I don't hit it out of the park all the time. I mean, I, I certainly have my shortcomings. But let me tell you something. I never thought it would bother me being judged by a seven-year-old. I, got, I recently got judged by a seven-year-old. Check this out. And I shouldn't say it bothered me. I grew up, like many of you, when I grew up, my parents were okay with other parents laying the fucking law down. You know what? We didn't go to other people's houses. We didn't question shit. We used our manners. We didn't ask for anything. We didn't go over there and say, you got food. You give me this and give me that. You just, you just went over there and minded your business and you respected people's places and your thanks. Kids aren't like that these days. Kids do whatever the fuck they want. And it's very obvious. It's very obvious that kids run the show in their house. Not this goddamn house, but other houses. And this is what I mean. And I'm not saying I'm doing it right and anybody's doing it wrong. We're doing it differently. That's what I'm getting at. I do it differently. I had a seven-year-old recently come over, hang out with my kids, had to spend the night. They went swimming in a pool, ate up our food, spent money buying pizzas, took them for bicycle rides, walking around the neighborhood, played with the dogs, all of that stuff. Watched a movie, had popcorn, had a great time. You know what a seven-year-old tells her mama the next day when mama picks her up? Mr. Howes is mean. That's what, I, that, that's, what, that's what she said. And this was told to me. My wife told me this and my daughters told me this. And then uh, my wife had to look at her and tell her, it's not that Mr. Howes is mean. Mr. Howes just doesn't play any games. And Mr. Howes doesn't let you do what you want or talk the way you want. And that's the difference. So what was happening was this. My girls... We're not getting along because one of them had a friend over and the other didn't. And so they were walking around with their ass on their shoulders all day, kind of going at each other. And I don't tolerate that shit. And so I did what I do. I started separating people. I talked with an assertive voice. Um, and that's it. And she wants to go off and say that I'm mean. Well, here's what I got. Here's what I here. Here's my thing. I know this little girl. And it's hard when you're talking about kids and I don't want to like talk about parents in a negative manner. It's not that I mean, it's that her parents parent differently than I do. Okay. Um, not saying that's right or wrong, but I think she gets away with a lot at her house and she runs more of the show than parents like to admit. I lie. I see a lot of parents are like, Oh no, no, we're very big on discipline. We're very strict. No, the fuck you're not. Get out of here. Get out of here. Um, Which leads me to this point. I got a, uh, I got a message to 
mention when is it time to discuss with your kids post-traumatic stress and the effects and why you go through what you do. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know when the right time is. I don't think my kids know right now. They don't know that their daddy was severely fucked up for a long time and has uh, worked really hard on it because I'm not saying I shelter my kids, but like I said, I'm not trying to make my problem their problem. Now, they'll see the way that I speak versus the way a lot of other parents speak. They'll see the way that I behave versus a lot of other parents' behavior. Um, They'll see that speeding cars on the street affect me differently than it does other parents who don't seem to have any concern over it. Kids are smart. They figure things out. So they they know daddy's different, but they don't know why. I don't think I need to sit down at seven years old and five years old and tell my kids, hey, look, I've, um, I've seen kids your age pinned up underneath cars and, and then with their faces scraped off and ground down into the concrete. I don't think we need to have that conversation yet. I think I do, I do let them know, like, look, my, my daughter asked me the other day, she asked, and this may, may be in, I may have been a little too honest with her. She says, daddy, we were sitting by the pool and she goes, what's the most dangerous animal on the planet? And I looked her dead in the face and I said, humans. And she goes, no, 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 no. What, what, what is the most dangerous animal? And I said, listen, I'm going to tell you one more time. Humans are the most dangerous thing on this earth. And you don't understand that now, but you will. And I said, um, not all, not all humans, but there are a lot of bad ones out there. And that shit went right over her head. And I was like, damn, that might've been a little too deep for her. So I was like, all right, all right. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's lions or it's hippopotamuses and tigers and shit, you know? But I was, I was right. We are. We are the most dangerous species on this earth. Hands down. But I don't think at a young age we need to start beating that into them. Because I don't want to make my, uh, my view of civilization and of people. I don't want to make that her view. So I had to back up and pun a little bit. I want her to get her own experiences. I don't want her to grow up as jaded as I am. I want her to take things for what they are and how she sees them through her eyes. I don't want to force my opinions and my view of this world onto her because that's not fair. I think the right time to talk about this with your kids is when they start asking because they know. But I think if I was going to give any advice, it would be, the, the, the advice I constantly give, do not make your problem your children's problem. We don't want to expose them to that and give them that secondary post-traumatic stress because that's something you can't take back. You know, um, I have to be very mindful of the way I speak around my kids. I'm not saying that I speak with a filter because, look, this is fucking Captain Sailor over here. I'm not sheltering them from this world. They're going to hear a lot worse than I got to say in this world at some point. But I try not to raise my voice too much. And if I do, I let them know, look, I asked you nicely, and this is what it's going to take. Um, me and their mama, we don't go around this house screaming and fighting. We never we never do that. Um, if we have a conversation, it's it's handled very civilized. Um, I If I feel my emotions getting high or tensions getting high with me, I separate myself from my family for a reason. I walk off. I go somewhere. I decompress. That's what we got to do. Am I saying I've always done that? No. 
have I have I flipped have I flipped the straight the fuck out? Oh yeah, I have many times, and I'm not proud of that. But I've learned from it, and I learn from it every single time, and I've gotten a lot better over the years at managing those emotions. It just takes time. These children of ours, man, they can be our biggest challenge, but boy, they can be our big, our greatest reward. I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing that that fills my heart like seeing and hearing my children. Now, when they scream and fight, I'm good. Y'all can have them, but man. Somebody asked me to talk about the positivity that children bring. And it's, I think one of our greatest rewards is the legacy that we leave behind. It's not the money. It's not any, any, anything like that. It's our, it's our, it's our legacy in our family, the people that we produce and what we can help mold and shape and turn them into, to go on to do wonderful and beautiful things in this world. I think that's the most important thing we can do. And that's, that certainly is my mission in life. It's to just be there to nourish and watch my girls grow and hope, hope that they can grow up to do and go on and become anything they want, but to be very wonderful people. And, um, I'm seeing that and I love it. That little one, she's got a little fucking attitude on her, but still, I think she's, she's sweet as she can be. Um, you know, when I get out on my farm and I get out there and I'm decompressing I'll stop and I look at the sky and I take it all in. I'm like, man, I'm so fucking happy out here and I'm glad I'm away from the city, but there's always something missing. It's when you don't have your family with you, there's a void. And I start thinking, I'm like, I wish that I could be in the place I want to be all the time with my family and feel like this. I want to be able to give them this euphoric feeling, this side of me that I don't have with them all the time. I want to be able to give this to them because it exists. It exists in all of us. We have that euphoric, just wonderful, best part of us. And are we giving that to our families? And I, and I'll answer that for a lot of you. No, we're not. We're starving them of it because it exists inside of all of us, but it doesn't, we, we can't, we can't extract it from ourselves when we're in places that don't make us happy. My family doesn't have the luxury of being out at my farm all the time. I mean, my wife works, my kids go to school. I pretty much do what I want and I have flexibility to go out there every fucking day when I want to. You guys have seen me on the, the, uh, the lives out there. I'll go on a uh, Instagram live inside of my damn tool shed late at night because it's just boring. It's lonely. It's, and I think about it, I'm like, man, it'd be great to just have my girls out here with me working on shit and showing them how to sharpen a, a chainsaw blade. And I can't wait for the weekend because we have soccer and then we got this party, that birthday party, and, and they won't have time to even come out to this farm. And that's why I've thought about selling everything I own because I talk about doing what you want to do. It doesn't happen overnight, but I've already talked about selling that farm as much fucking pieces it's brought me because I'm, I'm looking at buying another one, something that I can sell everything that I own and have my family on with me. I looked at having my family where my farm is and it just doesn't, it's not in their best interest to be there right now. And I don't need to get into specifics, but there's a reason why I haven't relocated them out there. And, um, they're, they're just better off right now where they are. I'll just leave it at that. So sometimes we got to make tough decisions too. Sometimes what's good for you is not what's good for your family. And that's the hard part. That's where the selfish behavior comes in. Well, I can't be home three or four nights this week because 
daddy's got to go. Daddy has to go get his head right. So when I do come back for the three days next week that I'm going to be home, I need to be, I need to be the best me that I can be for you guys. Right. They don't know that that's what's happening right now. They just know, well, daddy's going out to the farm and fucking off and doing whatever he does out there. And it drives me nuts because when I initially got out of comedy many years ago, the first time it was because I wanted to be around for my kids and I wanted to watch them grow and I didn't want to miss a day of their lives. And now it's, I got to a point where I realized I have to be selfish. You have to be selfish in this life to take care of yourself or you're not going to be worth a shit for anybody else. And that's where the balance comes in. And only you can figure that out. I got another message. I'm going to, I'm going to get probably pretty aggressive in this next few minutes because, um, I got a message from a friend of mine and he, uh, he was asking, he was reaching out for help. He's a retired firefighter from the city that I work in. And I never, I don't speak ill of that fire department. I love that fire department. So I'm gonna go ahead and put this out there. I love that fire department. I do anything for that fire department. However, no matter what jurisdiction you work for, there's always people there who want to not support other people, right? They want to, um, I guess flex, flex their, their muscles. They want to be the alpha dog. They want to bring other people down. Have you ever heard the saying crabs in a bucket? If you're not familiar with crabs in a bucket, you ever put crabs in a bucket, watch what they do. Every time one crab gets to the top and almost gets out of the bucket, what do the other crabs do? They reach up and they pull that fucker back down in there with them, right? And we always had a saying at the fire department that, that that place was like crabs in a bucket. Anytime somebody started doing good, there was always somebody there to fucking reach up, grab you and pull you back down. And then dude, haters are everywhere. They're not just in, in my department. I'm not isolating that department because that's a fucking stand up fire department with a shit ton of stand up guys. However, there are a few people there that were there, the retired guys, um, that they're crabs in a bucket. So my buddy calls me. Or he, he messages with me and he's like, look, man, he goes, I'm having a hard time finding purpose and I don't want to, I don't want to let it be known who he is. Cause I try to protect people in here, but he has a hobby that he really enjoys. And, uh, he was around a bunch of firefighters and he was, um, trying to do the thing that he loves to do. And these old dudes started knocking him down right in front of each other, making fun of him, making him feel like he wasn't one of them. And he, he, he was concerned about it. And he says, man, he goes, I just don't feel like I fit in and I, um, I need help. He says, I don't, I don't have any desire to do anything other than the one thing I want to do. And, and they don't appreciate it. And I said, well, let me tell you something, dude. I said, fuck them. I said, why are you wasting your time? A minute of your fucking energy. Why would you waste a minute of your energy giving to people that don't want to receive that energy? I said, there is a ton of people in this world. There's seven fucking billion people, six, however many. Why are you worried about 12 fucking people who aren't going to give, give you the best of them that they got to offer? Fuck them. And I said it just like that. And I was it. And I meant that shit. Fuck them. If you're, if you're in your forties and your fifties, I don't like fucking bullies anyway. I never have. But dude, if you're still bullying into your forties and fifties, you got fucking problems and, and, and there's something wrong with you and something happened to you somewhere in your life that you felt the need to like put other people down instead of build them up. You're the fucking problem. You know, you are exactly the problem in the culture that I speak out against and that I try to get other people away from because those are the kind of people who have been killing 
our people for the longest fucking times. It's one thing to bust balls. I'm a ball busting machine, but when I'm doing it, it's in, it's in good fun. Like we, we have fun with it. I don't do it to be mean spirited. Have I been that guy? You're goddamn right. I have been, and I'm ashamed of it. And I'm ashamed that I was ever that guy. And I'm ashamed that I ever bullied anybody, but I, I own it. I recognize it. I know what it was. I wasn't in a good place back then. I was dying along the line of duty myself and I didn't know how to handle it. So I told him, he asked me, he goes, well, you can say all this because you have an outlet. And I stopped and I go, motherfucker, I created my outlet. Hence, create your own light. The name of this podcast. Hence, create your own light. The name of that book. I live and die by that. Create your own light. Travis Howes can't do it for you. I can't find your outlet. Only you know the things that interest you. You Only you know what you're really good at. And it's up to you. You have a responsibility to yourself, to your family, to be the best you that you can be. He said, I don't want to get off the couch some days, blah, 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 blah. And I told him, I said, look, man, maybe you just need to hear it. Stop feeling fucking sorry for yourself. I still have shit days. And, and, and when I was handling this, I was out on my tractor. I was working on my farm. And honestly, I'll be honest, I didn't want to fucking be talking about this stuff because I didn't want to be pulled down that crabs in a bucket thing. I didn't want to be pulled back into that hole. I was in a place I loved being, doing something I loved to do. But I had a brother that needed me. I had someone who thought enough of me to reach out and to ask about, to ask me for help. And I'm not always the best at giving it, but I gave him my time and I tried to address it the best way I could. I said, look, dude, I said, you need to hear it. And without me putting sugar on my lips, kissing some Vaseline and sticking my lips in a jar of sugar so I can make it nice and sweet for you, you need to hear it. You're being a fucking victim. You're feeling sorry for yourself. And where's that going to get you? Nowhere. It's going to get you deeper and deeper into that fucking couch. Before you know it, your family will be looking for you underneath the couch like they will be looking for fucking change, flipping cushions over, looking for you. Stop it. Get up off your ass and go do something with your life. You only have, Your days are numbered, dude. You only have so many. And don't go spend them around negative, toxic-ass people. Which takes me back to another that episode, investing in your mental wealth. Know the difference between assets and liabilities when you're investing and, and that is means in your mental future. Would you go would you go dump all your money into a house that you know that's not going to give you a return, a rental house? Well, that's what you're doing. You're giving your time and your your effort into friends that aren't going to give you a positive return. They're only going to give you a negative return. So you're doing that to yourself. He said, Well, I need interaction with people. Well, guess what? There's six or seven fucking billion of us in the world. Go find the good ones. Go be around the people that want to be around you. And I told him, I told him flat out, I said, why do you think I don't, I'm not around that place that often because I know who the toxic people are. I know exactly every single fucking one of them. And I stay away from them. I stay away from that bullshit because it's not healthy for me. Damn. Sorry. I get a little passionate when I, when I talk about that. I don't like bullies, man. I, 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 I cannot stand a bully. And you, bullies aren't just kids. Bullies are adults. There's people that bully each other all the time, and I hate it. It drives me fucking crazy. Um, let's see here. I can't thank you guys enough for the support you've given. I know I say that a lot, but I truly mean it from the bottom of my heart. 
Um, sometimes when I'm recording these episodes, I feel like I'm just rambling, but I'm really hoping that at some point you find something that resonates with you. And it may not resonate with everybody every single time, but I, you know, getting the messages that I get, I realize that, that we're on the right path here. And like I say, I can't do it without you, please. I beg of you. If there's something you would like me to talk about, maybe I'm just not thinking about it. Shoot me a DM, shoot me a message. Tell me your thoughts, your concerns. I'd love to talk about it. I I mean, I'd love to get all kinds of different points of views. Um, so we can keep the conversation going. I try to be a little bit more lighthearted on this episode. I'm going to try to make them a little bit, um, fun from here. If you know, from here on out, it just every once in a while, uh, have a little bit more fun, which is kind of why I went with the dildo story. Hope you guys didn't mind, but if you did mind, oh, well, fuck it. It's not for you anyway. Um, yeah, having said that, if you're going to be in Baltimore in October or near Baltimore and you want to come out to an event, I have four speaking engagements and I have one comedy event. Shoot me a DM and I can shoot you the Eventbrite link and you can get your tickets. I'll also be in Indianapolis um, for FDIC, Firefighter or Fire Department Instructors Conference. I'll be doing a comedy event the Friday night in Indianapolis. I believe that's August 20th or the 19th, whatever that Friday is. Um then, yeah, by the time you hear this, I will have already left Chattanooga, baby. We got some, some shows in Chattanooga that, well, I don't, there's no need talking about it because by the time this airs, that will have been, been gone. So you can always check out my tour schedule, which is, um, minimal right now because of COVID, but it's www.travishouse.com. Pick up a copy of my book, create your own light on Amazon, the audiobook, dude, I'm still waiting for the final approval. Hopefully by the time you hear this, it will be out. I called yesterday. They said that they have dual email addresses associated with the ownership rights, so we're, we're trying to address that. Hopefully, that's the only hang-up. Again, you guys kick ass, man. Have a, great, have a great day. Have a great week. Thank you so much. Tell everybody you can about this podcast if you think it's, uh, if you think it's for them because I can't get the word out without you. I love each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you.